All right, welcome to Journey Church. Man, it is, uh, uh, it is incredible to spend time together in the presence of God. I, I like to make as, as much as I can to continue to grow in, in developing a lifestyle of living in the presence of God from day to day. But I see more and more all the time the difference and distinction between me and Jesus time and me and us and Jesus time. And there is a difference. And if you never have this, you miss out. And you know what? That word that Joseph shared, the, the spirit of God inside of me said, yes, yes. I'm saying that. That's my voice speaking right now through him. And the me and Jesus time that I have, you know, I may not hear that in that moment because God's speaking through a brother. And I, this isn't the message today or anything. I just, I just am so appreciative for what God does when we come together. And uh, I just wanted to just take a second and acknowledge that. So I'm Aaron Poor. If we haven't met, I'm the associate pastor here at Journey. Pastor Sean, our lead pastor, <clears throat> has asked me to speak this weekend. And uh, I'm so thankful for this this week. Uh, I Earlier this week, I lost my voice. And I'm finding it. And uh, I've, I've found it most of the way, not completely. So I've got my, my hydration solutions up here. Um, but I think I've found enough of it to be able to share what, uh, what God's given me to speak today. And um, this is a wonderful chapter in the book of Acts that we are finding ourselves in this weekend. You know, we're going through the book of Acts, transformed. It's the thing that really we did to kick off this new year. And I think it's already been transformative for us as a church Certainly the, the school of uh, the spirit that we just wrapped up has had already just had a major impact. I've got people from real life groups uh, emailing and texting into me saying, man, we are talking about this in our group and we are digging deeper into these things than we, than we ever have before. And we're seeing things happen. And so God is doing something right now through this uh, look into the book of Acts and what the Holy Spirit, the ministry of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And one of the things that we're going to see today, and I'm, I'll just, sometimes I just get tempted to do this and I think I'm going to just do it. I'm just going to tell you in a nutshell what we're going to talk about right at the beginning. And, and, but you just, you got to stick around for, for the why. So don't, don't go anywhere. But we're going to see how the Holy Spirit spreads the gospel uh, in two primary ways. And we're going to see this amazing thing that happens where, there, where multitudes come and there's a big uh, visual public demonstration of the love and the power of God and people from all over the place see what's happening we have things like that happening right now in the world. And we're also going to see the immense power and potential of a very small, very unnoticed interaction and obedience to the leading of the Holy Spirit 
that has fruit that's just as big, if not bigger, than the huge public thing. We're going to see how the Holy Spirit does that in both ways. The most important thing to take away from this today, in this chapter 8 of the book of Acts, is that this is not meant to just be a historic record of ancient uh, beginnings of the church. This isn't history class today. This is us allowing the Holy Spirit to encourage and motivate us to continue on with what he started in the book of Acts. Because we're not just looking back at history, we're participating in the present. And you know, I believe that it's true to say these are the last days. But I also believe it's true to say the last days began when Jesus came out of the tomb. And so we are in that age. We are in the age of grace, the age of the church. And what we saw happening in the book of Acts, uh, and and I'm not going to rehash everything we talked about in the school of the spirit, you know, uh, but was not meant to be a one-time thing that happened in a brief tiny sliver of history and then went away like a like a puff of smoke. It was meant to be a template that we follow for our life and a demonstration of how how God wants to work through us uh, through the Holy Spirit. So let's just dig into it. But that's where we're going with this today. And so last week, Pastor Sean concluded uh, by showing us how Saul, who would later become Paul, began persecuting the church. And this persecution of the church had a counter effect, a counterintuitive effect to what Saul wanted. So if you can imagine the beginning of the church being like this concentration of potential. You know, imagine all of those people that were in Jerusalem, you know, that were in the upper room and then came into the church. You know, it said that the Lord added to the church daily. Imagine those people all being like seeds of potential, all concentrated in one spot and just kind of gathered up in a big bag of seed, just sitting right there. And Saul comes along and he's like, I'm going to smash that. And so when he comes and he smashes at him and everybody else that's persecuting the church, what basically happens is it scatters that seed. And so then that potential goes all over the place. And the men who sought to stop the church actually helped facilitate the growth and the spread of the church. And that's one of the wonderful ways that God works. So this is what's happening here in chapter 8. So let's not start at verse 1. Let's jump just ahead to verse 4 and see what's going on. So verse 4 says, Therefore those who were scattered went everywhere preaching the word. Then Philip went down to the city of Samaria and preached Christ to them. And the multitudes with one accord heeded the things spoken by Philip, hearing and seeing the miracles which he did. For unclean spirits crying with a loud voice came out, Uh, of many who were possessed and many who were paralyzed and lame were healed. And there was great joy in that city. Everybody say amen. amen. I can see there being great joy. But I want you to notice uh, something here. 
Notice what the people responded to. And you can go ahead and leave that, that, uh, that scripture up on the screen. Notice what the people responded to. They responded to two things. They responded to, uh, the, the, with one word heated, the, the things spoken by Philip and hearing and seeing the miracles which he did. So they responded to the spoken word, the teaching, and they responded to the demonstration of the power of God. There were two things that were going on. Both of those things worked in uh, conjunction to draw people in. And so those were the things that were happening. So we preach a complete gospel. Amen? We preach a complete gospel. I would say we preach a full gospel, that's, but that's also, that's kind of like a denomination or something. So let's just call it a complete gospel. And so there are streams of faith that choose to focus only on the teaching of the word. And there are streams of faith that focus so heavily on the experience and the encounter and the demonstration that they can marginalize, oops, the teaching of the word. And either one of those things, uh, if, if that's the only focus, can lead you into problems. Because both of those things go hand in hand. They're both necessary. So uh, without moving, without the moving and the gifts of the spirit, you will have a powerless gospel. You know, the Bible talks about clinging to a form of godliness, but denying its power. And we don't want that. We want to show the world that we're not just teaching a history book and we're not just inviting you to come to an academic lecture about something that was written 2,000 years ago. We want to show you that this is living and alive, relevant and powerful. <clears throat> but without the foundation of the word, the Bible, your pursuit of the encounter will eventually lead you to something spiritual that is not the Holy Spirit. And so you have to have both. If you become someone who just seeks a spiritual encounter without the grounding, the foundation, the leadership, and the truth of the word, you will end up somewhere spiritual, yes, but it won't be the Holy Spirit. And so one of the things that we have to dispel is the idea that all things spiritual must be the Holy Spirit. And we're going to actually see this played out in the story of what happens in Acts chapter 8. So we're going to see how the gospel spread strategically both through the demonstration of the power of God and the teaching of the word of God in a one-on-one -on -one scenario. So let's keep moving. Acts chapter 8, let's look at verse 9 now. There was a certain man called Simon who previously practiced sorcery in the city. Now, as I read through this, every statement here is saying a lot. And so this kind of paints a very dense picture of what's happening. So look at what's being said. He previously practiced sorcery in the city and astonished the people of Samaria claiming that he was someone great to whom they all gave heed from the least to the greatest, saying, this man is the great power of God. And they heeded him because he had astonished them with his sorceries 
for a long time. Not everything that is spiritual is of the Holy Spirit. So in other words, the win is not to have a spiritual encounter. The win is to have an encounter with God. And I've said that already many times just in the beginning here, and I'll probably say it again several more times because I've seen this many times. And there have probably been times in my past that I've done this where I've been so passionate about having something happen spiritual that I open up the gates and say, just let something happen. And what happens is when you open wide the gates and say, I welcome all things spiritual to happen, if you are naive enough to believe that all things spiritual are the Holy Spirit, what you'll end up with is you will have more encounters and experiences with the Holy Spirit than you did before. Yes, you will, but you will also have other encounters and other experiences that are not the Holy Spirit. When there's no guidance, when there's no foundation, no teaching from the word. And so these people of Samaria, listen, they were hungry for spiritual things. They were a spiritually seeking people. I want you to think about the generation we live in. We live in a spiritually hungry generation. We, we, we have people who are looking to places like the stars. They're looking to dreams. They're looking to self-help influencers. They're looking to anything that will tell them who they are and why they're here. And so in Samaria, you have, you have a people like this, that they're hungry for something like that. And this man comes along and he starts doing spiritual things. And I don't know, the Bible isn't real clear. I don't know that he wasn't doing legitimate signs and wonders, but we know they were not of the Holy Spirit. So whatever he was doing was drawing those spiritually hungry people to himself. But again, just because there is a manifestation of some kind does not mean it's of God. There is a church I was familiar with a long time ago in a city far, far away from here. It's not a church I don't think anybody in this room is familiar with. Um, But I'm also not making this story up. And this church, uh, they had a belief that, again, we're talking about seeking spiritual encounters without the direction of the, of the word and the discernment of the Holy Spirit, seeking spiritual encounters. They had a belief that when the presence of God supposedly would come into the room, everyone in the room would wet their pants. It's okay to laugh. It's okay. This is what they believed, and this is, this is what they practiced. Now, somebody somewhere, not in this room, somebody somewhere might say, well, who are you to say that's not how the Holy Spirit moved? Well, there was a movement, but it wasn't the Holy Spirit. And I am somebody to say that's not the Holy Spirit because I read the Bible. 
because I read the Bible, because I have the word of God to be a guide to me that acts as a filter that gets crazy weird things out. And so you can have an experience, a manifestation, and I use that as an extreme example, but you can have other examples too that are manifestations and experiences, but they're not the Holy Spirit. This is what was happening in Samaria. So let me give you real quickly some reasons why something spiritual may seem weird, because not all of the reasons are bad. You know, in other words, not all of the reasons mean that what's going on is wrong, but here are some reasons that something spiritual may seem weird. Number one, it's because I don't have a scriptural understanding of it yet, okay? Um, If someone walked into the room today, at the end of worship, Joseph came up and said, God is saying, and then he shared that word about the fatherhood of God. If someone came in <clears throat> and they never had had any, any teaching of any kind from the Bible that the Holy Spirit moves through gifts, like we just all learned through the School of the Spirit in the last uh, couple months of teaching, then it might seem strange to them. And it would make sense that it would seem strange to them because it's different than anything they've ever experienced. It's new, it's, it's new information, and, and sometimes things that are new seem strange. And when you dig into it and you read the Bible and you study what the Word of God says and you start to learn what the Bible teaches, then those things seem a little less strange because you see a biblical scriptural precedent for it. So that's one reason why something spiritual might seem strange. Another reason is, because we are still learning to be spiritually minded and not naturally minded. Every single one of us are going through a process of being transformed by the renewing of our mind. We're all on that journey. I'm on that journey. I'm on that journey. When I spend time alone with Jesus, I'm saying, Jesus, Please continue to transform my mind. Lord, I want my mind to continue to be upgraded, to be, to be informed of what you're doing and your nature and your character. And I want to be more like you and I want my thoughts to be your thoughts. And we're all learning to be more spiritually minded than naturally minded. And so when we are naturally minded, spiritual things, the Bible talks about this. Spiritual things will not make sense to us and may seem strange. So that's another reason why something spiritual might seem weird. Another reason why something spiritual might seem weird is because it is weird. Because it is weird. Because there are things that happen, especially if you go to a church that has, <clears throat> let's say a Pentecostal or, an, or a charismatic background, uh, and let's say it's one of those, let's say it's one of those places that I mentioned earlier where the focus is just on encounter uh, and not on, and it marginalizes the teaching of the word. There will be things that happen where people are maybe naively experimenting or, or, or moving into something where they don't have a lot of understanding and things will happen that are weird and they're not of God. And it's okay 
for you to recognize that's weird because it is weird. And uh, I shared at the, the School of the Spirit um, the other night, we were talking about instances of, of, of moving in the gifts of the Spirit and things like that. And I, I shared about, uh, this was on the, the topic of discernment and how when I was 13 years old, you know, I, I had just kind of come to a place where I felt like I had an understanding of what God wanted to do with my life. And at that same moment almost, you know, very, very close to that same moment, um, we had a man uh, who was very well known in prophetic circles. Those of you who follow that kind of thing, if I were to say his name, you would all know who this person is. And he came to our church and, and he prophesied over me. And the prophecy that he said was, you think you know what God wants to do with you, but I'm telling you, you're wrong. And as soon as he said those words, I heard the Holy Spirit speak in my heart and said, that is not of me, do not receive it. And I just said, thank you, thank you for that. And I just walked away. But there are times that legitimately spiritual things happen that are not the Holy Spirit. And so how do we learn discernment? How could these people in Samaria have had discernment and known that this guy that they were saying, that is the great power of God. How could they have a, a, a lens to see correctly? Well, listen to John 16, 13. It says, however, when he, the spirit of truth has come, and we know that he has come, he will guide you into all truth, for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, uh, he will speak, and he will tell you things to come. The spirit of truth, the Holy Spirit, will guide you into all truth. Do you know how this works? Do you know how this functionally works on a practical level in your life? You have to get to know him. That's all it is. It's that simple. There's not 12 steps or three points. It's just you get to know him. You recognize the voice of your God. And you, you get to where you hear his voice. You know that's him speaking. And the way that you recognize his voice is you spend time with him. You pray, you worship, you read your Bible. And you get closer to God. And then when God says, you know what? That's not of me. Don't receive it. You're like, oh, that's the Holy Spirit. That's my Lord and I'm going to listen to his voice. So Jesus promised that the Holy Spirit would lead us into all truth. Um, so let me just jump ahead a little bit here. This is, this, is a, uh, this is one of those topics that it's easy for me to get off on a tangent and, and just go because this is a really big deal. This is a really big deal for us, for the church right now, for the day and the age that we live in. What, what was happening in Samaria um, is happening in different shapes and forms all over the place. So what happened then is, is very interesting as you move forward in the story in, in Acts chapter 8. Simon, Simon sees Philip come to town and Philip starts doing the real deal. So Philip starts actually performing signs and wonders with the power of God backing them up, right? And Simon 
instead of saying, you know, let's have a battle. Let's, let's, let's see who's, re-, you know, Simon's like, no, that's, that, is, that is amazing what he's doing. I want whatever he's doing. I want that. But it's important to note here, Simon was not saying, what must I do to be saved? Simon was saying, whatever that power is, I need that because this is my business. This is what I'm doing. I, 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 I use this kind of power to get people to come to me and to be who I am. This builds up my identity and my, and my thing that I do. And you're doing something that's more than I can do. And so how can I do this? Can I, can I pay you for that? And that's actually what happens is Simon offers to pay to get the power that Philip is operating in, the power of the Holy Spirit. And, you know, let's just be honest. Money will do a lot. Money will buy a lot of things. You know, we can say, well, that's, you know, but money will do a lot. Money, what will money do? Money will organize a huge service. Uh, It will hire musicians, expensive lighting and sound rigging. With money, you can hire a camera crew. And with money, you can hire well-known, high-profile speakers to come in. You can do all that with money. And listen, none of those things are bad things. Those are all good things. Those those can all be extremely effective tools uh, for spreading the gospel. But what money will not do is by the presence of the Lord and the power of God. It will not do that. So many of you know by now that... Uh, on February 8th, um, a chapel service began in a, uh, in a small university in Kentucky with just a handful of people. Um, there's actually, now the YouTube video is out there now of that actual chapel service before anything really blew up. And all it was was just college kids coming together for a chapel service to sing some simple worship songs and study the word and maybe share some testimonies. And they didn't have a huge worship team. They didn't have lighting, you know, stage lighting. They didn't even have a screen to put words up on. But they were hungry for God. They sensed the presence of God in the room and nobody wanted to leave. And it's still going on right now. And I mean, at this point, there is, if you were to get in your car and drive there, there's a a half mile long line to go sit in this chapel. And people from all over this country and from at least nine other countries have flown in to come experience this. Now, you and I know that the Holy Spirit is present in us The Holy Spirit doesn't live in Kentucky. And so we can experience the Holy Spirit now. I mean, there is no, Jesus tore the veil that separated humanity from the presence of God. There is nothing special about Kentucky. But what is happening, while I say that, let me say this, what is happening is there's something going on there that it very much appears to be a legitimate 
manifestation of the presence of God, and lots and lots and lots and lots of people would like to experience that. And so what we see is, I'm going to make a very, very loose comparison, just because it's so relevant right now in, our, in what's going on, to what's, what Simon had happening in, in, in Acts chapter 8 to what is happening in, at Asbury University. So multitudes have come. It's very visible. It's very public. It's out there. It's the word has hit the airwaves, and it's the talk of the town. And, uh, and lots and lots of people have flocked to it like a magnet. And this is what happened in, uh, in Acts chapter 8. It says that multitudes came. And you know, it's interesting, if you listen to what, the, going back to what's happening right now, if you listen to the interviews of the students that have been a part of this and that were there on that first chapel service that, you know, when this started on February 8th, by the way, this has happened many other times at that university. This isn't the first time this has happened. But if you listen to them talk, they weren't gathering together to pursue revival. They just wanted to know Jesus. They were pursuing God. And there is something so basic and fundamental and simple about the simple desire to pursue him, to know him, that I believe is more powerful than any other motivation that we have. They wanted to know him. And I believe that it's at the root of what drives us to grow as a follower of Jesus. And in Matthew 7, Jesus is talking about a type of people who assume they are entering the kingdom of heaven, but are surprised when they can't. And this is one of the most terrifying verses in the Bible. But listen to what Jesus says, Matthew 7, 22. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, and done many wonders in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Who are these people? Well, they're evidently prophets, demon caster outers. Is that what we call them? I'm not going to say exorcists. That's too creepy. <laughs> and they're people that do signs and wonders. And evidently they were doing it in the name of Jesus. But the one thing that they evidently do not have, according to what Jesus himself is saying, is they don't know him. And so this next thing I want to say is so important. I want to put it on the screen. That Jesus never knew these prophets and miracle workers shows how close to spiritual reality one can come while knowing nothing of its fundamental reality, knowing Jesus. So once again, you can become, you can get very, very close to spiritual things 
and not know Jesus. Just because you have been somewhere or even done something spiritual doesn't mean that there is a relationship with and a pursuit of the Holy Spirit. Okay, so I told you at the beginning, we were looking at two ways that the gospel spread in Acts chapter 8. How God used these two methods, right? And the first was this big, visible, public thing where multitudes came, right? Just like in in Asbury University, we're seeing multitudes come because people want to just get in there and experience the presence of God. Something sort of similar to that was happening, uh, and it was producing fruit in the first part of Acts chapter 8. And then something really strange happens, and God directs Philip to do something really different. And uh, to kind of get a context of this, um, I want to go to our friend from Drive Through History. Uh, you've seen his videos before. I call him our friend because we've seen him a lot of times. Um, and he's going to give us a little bit of context of what was happening in the second part of Acts chapter 8. So let's check that out. Acts tells us that the deacon Philip on this road to Gaza came upon an Ethiopian eunuch. This Ethiopian was taking a break during the long journey from the temple in Jerusalem back to his home country. He was reading from Isaiah the prophet, a prophet whose writings dated back over 700 years before that time. Philip approached this eunuch and asked him this. Do you understand what you are reading? The Ethiopian responded, how can I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Now the passage of scripture that he was reading was this, like a sheep he was led to the slaughter and like a lamb before its shearer is silent. So he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. Acts 8, 30 through 33. The Ethiopian asked Philip if this ancient scripture was about the prophet Isaiah or someone else. Philip responded by beginning with that very passage of scripture to share the good news about Jesus. After listening, the Ethiopian said, see, here is water. What prevents me from being baptized? and he commanded the chariot to stop, and they both went down to the water where Philip baptized him. Acts 8, 36 through 38. So Philip had the distinction of being the first evangelist to share the gospel with the once despised Samaritans, as we saw in the city of Sebaste. And this story of Philip and the Ethiopian is the first record of an African believing in Jesus and being baptized. As it turns out, Philip had a pretty significant role to play in the spreading of the gospel in the early church period. Okay, so let's take a quick look at this. We're getting low on time, so I'm going to make tracks here and uh, kick it into the next gear. So stay with me, but let's, let's hit a couple real important things. Uh, starting there in verse 26, Now an angel of the Lord spoke to Philip, saying, Arise, go to the south along the road, which goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is desert. I love how they throw that in there. 
Uh, so imagine, just to kind of put it in modern context, imagine Philip is just this young guy here in, in, the, in this area, in this region, and God calls him to go down to like downtown Kansas City. And he starts this big thing, right? And, and, and he starts preaching and he starts healing, you know, praying for people. They get healed and, and, and multitudes start coming. And it gets, you know, it goes, it goes viral on YouTube and, and people are coming and, and getting saved. And it's so cool and it's so exciting. And there's this buzz of something new happening. And he's right in the middle of it. And it's so satisfying to see these things going on. And then the Holy Spirit says, Okay, so now I know you're down here in downtown Kansas City. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to head out to the east on, one, on this rural country road like towards, towards Richmond, but not all the way to Richmond. Don't go to Richmond. Just I want you to go out there kind of in that area and just go out on an old country road. And he's like, you really? You want me to do that? I mean, I'm, look at all this stuff that's going on. And no, that's what I want you to do. There are times we got to trust God. Because he's leading us to do things that he knows what's going on, but we don't. And so uh, just imagine being in that place where you're pioneering this massive work. And then God says, I just want you to go out into the country on this road. And so that's what happens. Verse 27. So he arose and went and behold, a man of Ethiopia, a eunuch of great authority under Candace, the queen of Ethiopians, who had charge of all her treasury, had come to Jerusalem to worship. As he was returning and sitting in his chariot, he was reading the Isaiah the prophet, and the Spirit said to Philip, go near and overtake his chariot. I'm going to take just one real quick second, and I want to dispel uh, a false theory that, has, that floats around about this Ethiopian eunuch. Uh, you may not have even heard of it, but maybe you have. Sometimes this account in the book of Acts is used as a, um, uh, a means of trying to make an argument that the Bible is trying to promote some sort of a gender issue message or, you know, this guy who is a eunuch, that means that God is saying this or that about, you know, gender issues or LGBT this or that. That's not what the purpose of this story is at all. And I just want to explain what the real reason for uh, this man being in his condition. I, I'm sorry if it's too much information, but I think it's important in the context of what we're talking about to understand what was going on and put to rest that false hypothesis. So in that day and in that age, which in some ways was a lot more brutal than uh, the current culture and climate we live in, if you were a king, a queen, an emperor, somebody that was like the ruler of a, of a whole region with a, with a dynasty coming, following behind you, and you wanted to appoint a man to oversee a large amount of your kingdom, in those cultures and in those times, uh, that man would be made a eunuch so that, number one, he wouldn't be tempted to go after the king's harem, but the bigger reason is, number two, he would have no temptation to overthrow the king and create and establish his own dynasty. Because after being made a eunuch, he would have no ability to establish a dynasty. You all understand? I don't need to say anymore, right? Okay. So that's, that's, what, that's what the deal was with that guy, because that word is used many times in the, the rest of this chapter. So, but th this guy is a big deal, though. 
He's basically the treasurer of Ethiopia. That's what it says. He's the treasurer of, he's a very high ranking, high power, high profile leader in Ethiopia. And he's out in the middle of nowhere. He's out on a rural road by Richmond for, you know, traveling from here to there. And God sends Philip on an intercept course to meet up with this guy out in the desert. And Philip sees him and uh, he jumps up and he starts talking to him. So Philip ran to him, heard him reading the prophet Isaiah, said, do you understand what you're reading? And he said, how can I understand unless someone guides me? And he asked Philip to come up and sit with him. Ask yourself this question real quickly. How many people in my life are saying, how can I unless someone guides me? How many people in your life are saying, how can I unless someone guides me? Because you may be their Philip. There are people that you know that I don't know. There are people that you know that Pastor Sean doesn't know. And you may be their Philip, someone to guide them. Just keep that in the back of your mind. So it continues on, and I'm going to skip ahead. Basically, Philip explains what he's reading in Isaiah. Uh, he leads this man to Jesus, and the man says, there's some water. Why can't I be baptized? And Philip says, hey, if you believe in Jesus, you can be baptized. Let's get you baptized. And so they pull over, and this man gets baptized, and then this crazy thing happens. God basically snatches Philip away, and then the, the, the Ethiopian treasurer just starts worshiping God. And then what happens is, and this is not spelled out explicitly in the Bible, but what happens is he takes the gospel to Ethiopia. And this is, like I said, this isn't clear in the Bible, but it is established in church tradition that he evangelized Ethiopia. Church fathers as far back as Irenaeus in AD 180 mentioned the, the Ethiopian eunuch evangelizing his homeland. Here's the point. Here's where it intersects with our life. And let me invite the band to go ahead and come back up right now. We're gonna come in for a landing, but I wanna make this last point, and it's really the big point. There was a big, obvious, public ministry happening with a platform and crowds. And, you know, maybe back in those days, maybe there would have been lights and sound systems, you know, that he would have rented for what he was doing in Samaria. And then God calls him and says, now I just want you to go sit down and have a conversation about the Bible with one guy out in a rural setting. And it is not as classy and fun and exciting and important looking at all. But the result of that one conversation, that one conversion, that one baptism, is that the gospel was taken to a whole new nation. And there's every possibility that the fruit from that one conversation and that one act of obedience by Philip was greater than the fruit of the big, huge public thing that he did. We have to have our lives, our hearts, and our yes available to God. We have to be 
ready, willing, and able to do whatever he wants us to do. And if we will, then what we see happening in the book of Acts will continue to happen through our lives. Because again, this wasn't meant to be a historical account. This was meant to be a template that we follow to live our lives. And so as we move on from here, I want you to, I mean, I want you to think about, you know, don't seek spiritual things, seek God and, 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 and the, the whole story of Simon the sorcerer, all that, that's important and, and significant. But the big thing is, I want you to remember this story of Philip being led by God to go talk to one guy in this isolated place and how the Holy Spirit rode in through that conversation and caused something like a nuclear bomb of the gospel going off as a result of that one encounter. Let's go ahead and stand up. <clears throat> Father, we are here now, Lord God, as worshipers of you. Lord, and our desire to worship you goes beyond a desire to sing, sing words. It goes beyond a desire to lift up hands. Lord, our desire to worship you gets down into the fabric of who we are. And Lord, we, we are with the Apostle Paul 100% when we say, Lord, let us offer our lives as a living sacrifice to you. Everything about who we are, everything about what we can do, all of our potential, all of our purpose, Lord God, we present it to you. We lay it down before you. We open up our hands and we say, God, come move through this life. Glorify yourself in my life, Lord God. Let people be brought to you through me. Lord, use me for your purpose because I love you, Lord. Because I worship you. Because I recognize that you are God and there is no other. Lord, we're here to worship you right now. In Jesus' name.